What's up, my friends? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 204. And uh, today we're talking to Brandon Andrus about his book, uh, What Can't Be Hidden. Now, this book is a novel, and uh, I don't typically like novels. I have a hard time getting into them for some reason. I just never, I don't know. Like, I, I even read, like, half the Harry Potter series and as much as I love Harry Potter I don't know I just just have a hard time getting into a novel for some reason but this book I read this whole book cover to cover and I even highlighted some things in this book because it was so good the story like every chapter ended where I was like, oh, I need to know what happens in the next chapter. So I would like keep reading. I'd find myself reading like five, six chapters at a time uh, just because it was so intriguing the way he set up the story. And the story spoke to so many different aspects of my faith and spirituality that I'm wrestling through like right now, like this idea of uh, oneness and the interconnectedness of all people and all things like really really interesting stuff and I really enjoyed it and I was also this is only the second I think the second author I fought on uh, who wrote a novel and it's tricky because like when somebody writes like a, a non-fiction book you know you can say well in chapter 13 you said this tell me more about it chapter 9 said this, blah 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 but this like you don't want to give away the story but you want to have a conversation about it without giving away too many details to people who might not have read it, who want to read it or whatever. So, but I think we, I think we did a really good job. I really enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed the book. And my whole point is in that giant spiel, my whole point is go to Amazon and get the book, uh, what can't be hidden by Brandon Andrus. And I will put the uh, link in the show notes for you. Also in the show notes, link to my book, uh, rethinking everything also available on Amazon and uh, Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show. If this has encouraged you, inspired you, uh, that's the place to go to show some support. Uh, thank you. We have 44 patrons. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart uh, for supporting the show, for supporting my family. Uh, we are eternally grateful for you. Uh, thank you. And even if you don't support the show through Patreon, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for sharing. Thanks for leaving ratings and reviews on iTunes and Spotify and all the places. Uh, Thank you. All that stuff helps immensely and it helps me uh, because you encourage me and you inspire me to turn on the mic and make another episode. So thank you for your support. Uh, Much love to all of you. And so anyway, all that to say, again, episode number 204 with my friend Brandon Andrus. Enjoy. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah Just mind don't buy, don't play by the rules I'm gonna make sure that I play my cards right Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight the shuffle getting real I hope it lives on something good I'm all in for the kill Sometimes it's getting kinda scary I'm here for the thrill Decisions on top of decisions Like I chose a pill The bottle getting kinda iffy 
Temptations made his presence in the air is kind of tempting. Shortcuts after question, but it got on my attention. Uh oh, and I forgot, but did I mention? Looks like I won the game, made my decision. I listen. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with my friend Brandon Andrus to talk about his novel, uh, What Can't Be Hidden. So Brandon, uh, welcome to the podcast. I've really been looking forward to this. Hey, I appreciate being here and I am sorry that I screwed up our last meeting. <laughs> so here we are. This, this, this one is going to happen. It's going to happen. Was that a couple of weeks ago? We, we logged on and Brandon was in the car. And there was just a whole bunch of stuff going on. It just didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, much better situation today. It's all right. It happens. One time I had uh, I had Shane Claiborne, who uh, he came on the show. And we, were, we had a scheduled date for like months. And he logs on. He's like, so I'm in a coffee shop in Tennessee trying to get a guy off a of death row. And I'm like, there's oh, probably other things. Or more. He's like, no, I really want to do this with you. I'm like, I feel really bad doing this. He's like, no, no, we can do it because I have like a break. And so then we do it. It's like a coffee shop in the background. It was an editing nightmare, but it so funny thing is, is back when I had a podcast, I did interview him as well. And mm-hmm. we were having technical issues that I think had to do with a, just a cell phone. And he would break out for like, he, he would be going on this rant and this tangent yeah. and my phone would completely go out. I heard nothing that he said. It didn't yep. record any of it. And then I would, it would come back in and he was still going. And I'm like, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever he says, just, yeah, absolutely. Sounds, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. If you say that, if that's your response, it's probably going to fit. <laughs> so funny. Exactly. So your book, I finished your book um, a few weeks ago and I absolutely loved it, which is saying a lot because I have a hard time getting into novels. If I'm being honest, uh, it was, it was really good though. It's like one of the select few that I think I've actually finished and read in its entirety. Like I didn't skim it. Oh wow! And I was like, every chapter is like, Oh, like every chapter ended with something like, Oh, like what's going to happen next with this person. So I have tons of questions um, yeah, yeah, specifically yeah. about the end, which I'm not going to mention because I don't want to ruin it for anybody sure. who's listening, but it was really, really, uh, really well done. And I really appreciate it. But before we kind of jump into that, maybe tell us a little bit about, about yourself and who are you and what do you do? And, uh, help our listeners get to know you a little bit. So yeah, I mean, I live in Columbus, Indiana, and mm-hmm. I have three daughters. Three daughters, good grief! I have three kids, and <laughs> two, two, two are at Purdue University, and I have a ten-year-old son. And we had a pregnancy scare about a month ago. <laughs> I saw that blog post. <laughs> I am um, forty-seven. <laughs> I'm giving way too much information. So I live in Columbus, Indiana. And uh, yeah, so I have a regular job, but I write as a hobby, actually. And I've just really, I've done blogs for, I don't know, maybe 15 years. And then I jumped into self-publishing around 2010, published two early books on my own. And I think in 2018, I got connected with Choir Mm -hmm. and published my first book with them, which was Beauty and the Wreckage. And then more recently, I completely changed gears. I went from doing all nonfiction work to my first fiction work, which I did not anticipate. I wasn't planning to do it it kind of came to me and then I felt <laughs> obligated. I didn't feel <laughs> obligated. I knew that I had to write it. And yeah. so funny thing is, is that back when I was an undergrad, I went to Hanover college, small private liberal arts school in Southern Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I was really being encouraged to pursue 
an English major and creative writing, which I've always loved to do, but I've just mm. never done. So mm. now when you write a novel, is it, is it very different? Does it have like a different feel than writing nonfiction? Because like, I know like for myself, like I told you before I self-published a book, I've been writing blog posts for a long time too. You kind of like have this idea and it kind of evolves as you're writing. I feel like, like if the idea, you have a general outline, but I would imagine, and I don't know if this is true, but when you're writing fiction, do you have the story ironed out in your head? Are you, is the story like coming to you as you're writing? Like, oh, that's really good. I'm going to go that route. Like how, how was that process for you? Yeah, sure. So I think to the first question, it, it's really, really different than nonfiction. I've always viewed nonfiction as kind of intellectual and in what you know. So if you know something, sure. you can write about it. So yeah. then aesthetic for fiction, it, it took me a couple of, it took me just a few days, maybe just to reorient my thinking. All of a sudden mm. you're like, well, I have to get in this skin and I have to visualize, I have to hear, I have to mm. touch, taste, experience the heart, you know, has to be in this fictitious place. And so I think in many ways, it really involved me seeing differently. It, it mm. involved the senses, which was a, I said a complete reor reorientation. It really was because I'd relied so much on just what I knew for mm -hmm. writing blogs and the early books, but this one just took kind of a, what would you say? Like a, an, an enflushment. How about that? Some embodiment <laughs> Yeah, that was different than the early stuff. So you must have to like put yourself in the shoes of the characters you were creating to get a sense of where the story was going to go. Now, did you, was there any like, I hear sometimes people say like when they write fiction, there is research involved. Like, is there, was there anything? Because like, I sensed a lot of Richard Rohr in the book. Like I sensed like a lot of that kind of thinking there. Did you pull from any sources that you had read to kind of create this world and put together these ideas? Or was it more just, you know, just kind of going with the flow from your life experience? Yeah. So it was definitely going with the flow and I didn't actively go to any sources to try to find anything necessarily, but I gotcha. will tell okay. you, I mean, and I'm not an avid book reader. I don't yeah. read a ton. I, I read things sparsely, but when I do read them, I'm fully into them and I remember them and it's part of me. And mm -hmm. so one of, I would say one of the books that more heavily influenced my thinking just because I remember it so intimately was everything belongs by Richard Rohr. And go. so <laughs> some, yeah, some of the ideas and some of the things that he talks about in that have just part of who I am naturally. And then yeah. there's an outflow from that. So yeah, yeah. you're spot on. Well there done. You go. <laughs> I sent, I sensed him in there. I sensed his, uh, the spirit of Richard Rohr. Yeah. <laughs> Call it to me. But, hey, but to your question earlier, yeah, I, I think generally I had, almost the entire story ironed out before I started writing. It. Oh, really? And okay. Even the yeah, ending I, without giving any spoilers, even the ending. No, I, I had everything. The, the book is 21 chapters. Mm -hmm. I had 15 where oh. I knew it was going. And so for the last say, you know, five or six chapters, I generally knew where it was going, but I did, I had three ideas about what I was considering for the ending. Mm -hmm. And so, but, you know, to that point, this, it, it's so bizarre to try to talk about a fiction book in which everything is a spoiler because right. people are listening to it and they're like, dude, you're trusting us. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 you want us to trust you that this is something that we ought to read, but you're telling us absolutely nothing about it. Right. 
So I, I think in some sense, you know, I think you mentioned it earlier before we started the podcast that, or maybe you started said that at the beginning, but every chapter, it left you questioning and wanting more. And I think that that's the way that I wanted to write it. I want it to be a, a book where almost everything was a spoiler. I am heavily influenced by Breaking Bad and I mm. love just the depth. Everything matters. The symbolism matters. The metaphor yeah. matters. Yeah. The way that they storytell and leave you wanting more at the end of every episode, that heavily influenced me. So I thought in many ways, even though this is nothing like Breaking Bad, in terms of storytelling, I, I really adore and worship the guys that put that show together and better call Saul because they're doing it again. But yeah. I, I just love story. I love the way that people tell it and the way that it draws people into something deeper. Yeah. It reminded me of, um, you ever watched 24 back in the day? Oh, of course. Of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. So like every, yeah. every episode obviously ended this major cliffhanger, oh. like you have to watch more. <laughs> so if you're, if you're binge watching, you're doomed, you're going to be up for days but that's well, what it reminded me of because it was, yeah, like yeah. every detail in those stories matters. And like in your book, I would read something in the beginning and then it like later on, like four or five chapters later, I'm like, oh, like that's what that particular odd detail <laughs> had to do with the story. So, that's yeah, that's so you did right. it. Yeah. No, I've told, yeah. I've told people, you know, as they've, as they've read it, I've said every and, and I, I, this is not cliche. Every word matters. Every yep. sentence matters. Every paragraph matters. It's not mm -hmm. like that I, and, and I think that I'm, I would be incapable of writing a surface level book anyway. I think mm -hmm. that anything that I do has to be two to three layers deep. So this one's about three layers deep. You get the story, you get the allegory, which is the story beneath the surface. And then in my case, unless I told people, you would never figure out that it was an autobiography as well. <laughs> Oh, no one oh. would ever know that. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So your personal stories in there. Yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that brings a whole nother layer of questions. But can you give our, our listeners kind of an overview of the story without giving away <laughs> all the details? I know again yes. we just talked about that, but what is this story about? Yeah, 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 yeah. So what I typically do is whenever I I'll tell you this, I went to a signing event. And I was not prepared for the elevator pitch. And so people are like, wow. what's your book about? And I was like, I thought you guys would just read the back cover. And right. can I just read that for you? Right. <laughs> I was seriously underprepared for that. So I kind of crafted it on the spot, but mm. I really just give a, a quick synopsis of what the prologue to the book is and it mm -hmm. sets it up. And so uh, there is a community that's on an Island mm -hmm. and they are the only community on the island. And one day, uh, some of the guards are walking through the forest, just doing their regular scouting, and they see something move, and, and it's a person, and it's someone they don't recognize. It's a stranger. Mm -hmm. And after a pursuit, they capture this guy, and they take him back into town. But you can imagine the reception from a town that believes that they're the only people on the island. They're mm -hmm. absolutely terrified. They're fearful. And so they, they throw this guy in a jail and hold him to try to figure out what to do. But in the meantime, while they're trying to figure out what to do, a young girl named mm -hmm. Thura, who has only known life on the island, who has only known life within that particular community, 
under the cover of night goes to his cell mm. to find out more about him, where he came from, and possibly um, using him to help her escape from this community. And so, uh, you know, I guess the thing that I didn't say is this, this is a, a, a religious community. It's a, uh, an isolated, restrictive community. And so it's interesting. I mean, it, it kind of follows meta themes of asking questions like what, what is peace really? What is freedom really? And so it, it takes a person through these characters trying to run from places where th they believe that there's restriction, um, trying to pursue something greater and more immense. But in the, in, in the meanwhile, while going through this journey and learning, I think that there's profound wisdom that's developed by some of the main characters. And so that's about as vague. That's good. That's, that's a good description. <laughs> about as vague as I can be, but. So when you talk about how this is part autobiography, now, now that I know that, is this part autobiography, like of your experience within the church? Or is this have other yeah. elements to it? let's just say it this way. I think in mm -hmm. some ways I, some people need to go to therapy. <laughs> some people need to go to a psychiatrist or a counselor. Mm -hmm. I feel like that my therapy was this book and mm -hmm. I, I feel like that it draws from many parts of my life, but probably I, I grew up within um, and I'm not even trying to judge it. I'm just, I'm telling you as a matter of fact that I grew up within a fundamentalist church and there were some really good things with it and maybe not so good of things. And mm -hmm. so I, I think part of me walking through this book was walking through layers that, and, and, and maybe uncovering layers that I'd never previously dealt with, maybe things that had, I'd been carrying with me for a long time that I mm -hmm. needed to face and, yeah. And, and I, I will tell you, it's not like the, and you didn't even know it. I mean, it's not like the reader's going to look at it and say, aha, mm -hmm. <laughs> he's, he's writing an autobiography. You, right. would, you would never know. You would no, never know. it. No, but ironically, as you, as I was reading the story, I was finding myself in the story because there would be there themes is, yeah. that would come up about, especially the religious community. Cause I grew up in a very conservative uh, sure. evangelical fundamentalist kind of setting went to private Christian school from the fourth through 12th grades. And so there's a lot of things in the story that were really hitting home for me, especially like that division of like us versus them. Like that was just yeah, drilled yeah. into my head since I was a kid. And so as I was reading the story, it felt very personal to me, but I would have never made a connection that it was, it was your, it was your story um, as, as well. So in the, in the book though, I have a, I made a list. I made a list as I was reading the book of these different ideas that came up and I wrote them here, here they are. Okay. Hello. So in, in the book, there were like these different themes that came up. And one of the things I was curious about was like the idea of oneness was, it was a big theme. So like mysticism, uh, like dualism and non-dualism. I think you could even argue that like racism is maybe tackled a little bit in there. Uh, like religious systems of power, like as, as these different themes kind of came up in the book, have you ever, obviously you said that you had like the story kind of planned out in your head in advance, but did you ever think of like, I'd like to take these topics and tackle them in a nonfiction book as well, only because 
the way that you told the story so well in the book, I almost want to hear more about what Brandon thinks of these different, <laughs> these different topics in a more like in your face kind of, kind of way. Is that something you ever considered or? I, I feel like that my blog covered a lot of the stuff over the years, but to be honest, and, and maybe this is just the evolution of where I've been is that I, and, and I don't know if it was me specifically or if other writers have had the same experience, but it seems like that over the last three to five years with many religious nonfiction um, things that I had written, I kind of felt like that there are so many ideas all the time floating around and that anybody could find an idea that supports what they already believe mm -hmm. that I was reaching a lot of people who already agreed with what I was saying, but I wasn't reaching people who were, who, who had ideas that were different than mine. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I became very weary of continuing to write nonfiction, not that I'll never do it again, but I thought for a second, I would love to try to do something a lot more subversive that where where it where through story and through people kind of identifying emotionally with characters and mm. and being in the character's skin that they could see the nuance of situations. Why did this particular character respond this way? How did they arrive at that particular um, decision? Uh, mm -hmm. You know and. And, and I wanted people, honestly, across the ideological spectrum to wrestle with it. So, it, and I don't know if you noticed this, but on the back of the book, I did not have any blurbs from any well-known people. Yeah. And with my, la with my last book, I had Richard Bohr had a blurb and Hillary McBride had a blurb and, and there were several noble, notable people. But I also noticed that whenever you get somebody to write a blurb, the audience who's buying the book automatically assumes a certain thing about your book. True. This is the audience that you're trying to reach. And so I avoided at all costs trying to have any herbs on the back of this because I really truly wanted to tackle difficult issues like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to preach to people. I wanted people to consider and embody and try to wrestle through a lot of these issues, but I didn't want them to dismiss it before they even had a chance to read it. Does that yeah. make sense? A lot of sense. Cause I honestly, I got no idea what this was going to be about. Cause usually, like I said, you have somebody who endorses it or whatever on the cover, whether it's like a Brian McLaren or a Richard or whatever, sure. then you automatically assume, okay, it's a novel, but it's going to address these topics that these writers are also passionate about. So That's right. That's really right. had no idea what it was about then the cover this girl falling underwater <laughs> obviously gonna have something to do with the story and i figured it out later on but that's all that's all i knew so yeah yeah no i mean it was intent all of it's intentional and i really put a lot of thought into trying to try to thread the needle I, I, I'm, I'm, as you can tell, I mean, and it probably comes through in the narrative of the fiction, but I'm, I'm really weary of the we versus they on every front, whether it's yeah. political, ideological, religious, I'm, I'm post all of it. <laughs> I'm yeah. done with it all. Yeah. And I'm really want to find ways to help people listen to each other and have dialogue again. And yeah. you know, maybe this was a first step. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's huge. Actually, I have a page open in the book. I, I highlighted a lot in your book, which also shows that I enjoyed it because again, it's a novel. I don't always read novels and I'm highlighting in a novel, but you have this yeah. one line at the end 
you, you talked about earlier how you know the book is about these two kind of sides of the island and then at the end something happens but this one main character says the same source gives life to everyone on the island and that's something for me that like i'm i'm really wrestling with in my own life is this idea of of oneness just because i came from this world that was very split you know like we said before us versus them and you either believe the right things like we do and you go to heaven or you don't believe the right things and you go to hell and if it's not exactly like i believe you're still not believing right you know so it's really this real straight uh this dichotomy really and so i'm in this place where i'm like really wrestling with you know that idea of oneness and that the same source that gives life to me is the same source that gives life to you to people who are buddhists and muslim and atheists and everything else and i just like that one line really struck a chord with me just because it's it's really what i'm wrestling with in my life i mean it was a profound revelation to the character that had that experience at yes. the end of the book and yeah. again i mean with it being auto autobiographical i'm looking at it saying there i am and yep. very likely there you are that's right it. exactly exactly i mean yeah, it gives me cold chills. <laughs> yeah, it really does. And especially for that particular character, like it just, it's, it, it really just comes full circle. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So one of the biggest themes that you address in the, in the book, which really we've talked about kind of runs through the whole story, is this idea of having like a, a system in front of us, I would say a system that maybe promises to give us peace and freedom and you know protection all these different things only to see this system this religious system kind of collapse on itself and discover that these things can really uh, not be found in the system but almost by looking inside of us by looking within and i, I think that this is really interesting especially in these times because uh, my wife and i just recently watched the new hillsong documentary have you seen that yet oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah so the one on the discovery channel and then after we watched that, we went to YouTube and looked at all the other things that are out there. But there's, there's, it's so crazy. And with all this, all these scandals that are coming to the surface, like here's, here's a, a system, like not just Hillsong, but I think that the larger system of evangelicalism, because it's not just found in Hillsong. It's just, that's under the microscope right now because it's so big, but it's promised like up and down to bring peace, right. To bring freedom from like these very abuses that it often manifests within itself. And I feel like there's like a large part of Christianity, Christian culture, that's kind of coming to the realization that these, these systems that have been set up with all these promises are like deeply flawed. And that like perhaps the ancient Christians like had this, this idea that, you know, truth and wisdom and all these things can be found inside of us. I think people are starting to realize that like, we put our faith in these systems, we put our faith in these leaders, we put our faith in all these people, but we really need to kind of turn our attention more within and take a look at what's going on in the inside. So again, without giving too much of the story away, I felt like that was a really big point that was in there and that the whole Hillsong thing just brought up a whole lot in my mind. Yeah. Th this has been the trajectory that we've been on for a while. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that this book is prescient in any way, but I think I started writing it in June of 2019. And so here we are nearly three years later. And I feel like that it is even more relevant as each passing day goes by, which is 
but I mean, that's kind of what we've expected for a while. We've seen this trend for the last 10 to 15 years. It's getting more stark and bleak and obvious, right? Yep. Yep. And, and, and so whenever you, I think that what I, whenever I was constructing the story, I really wanted for this religious, this restrictive religious community, I didn't just want it to be a, a judgment or a critique on that community, because mm -hmm. I, I'm not afraid to say that there's a flashback at some point where you start seeing the genesis of it, of the community, mm -hmm. and you realize kind of the heart and the soul of how this community begins to be developed. And it's like, it's, it wasn't all wrong and it wasn't mm -hmm. all bad. And there were parts of it that were really beautiful, but then you start seeing various characters throughout this narrative interact with it and respond to it. So you mm -hmm. have, you know, one character that hardens with it. You have one character that struggles through it and kind of accidentally stumbles out of it. And then you have another character who from the very beginning is just like, I got to get out. Right. <laughs> and so, but, but, and, and, and then you have a fourth character who has kind of learned the wisdom of finding peace within it. So at, yeah. at, at that point, you have four different real experiences going on in which you can empathize with any part of that. And, yeah. and to me, that, that was kind of the I'm pretty sure that I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And maybe some of it I stumbled into, but it, it, it honestly, maybe I was just true to how I felt and true to my heart and true sure. to a variety of people within it. And my intention was not to club, <laughs> club people over the head or make a certain type of person look bad or a certain institution look bad, but it raises all sorts of questions for people, no matter where they're at within it about as you said, you know, what is the real heart here? What is, yeah. what is the, the liberating element within it? Yeah. And I think that's a, it's a really good point is that, you know, like you said, the, the genesis of that community in the book, it wasn't, it didn't come from an evil place. It didn't come from a bad place, but it kind of evolved into this thing based upon different people's experiences. And I think that's the way it is with a lot of these like, I mean, the Hillsong thing for a perfect example, like you saw the documentary yeah. and in the beginning, they talked about like Brian Houston's father and like the, the heart for doing what he was doing. Like that's, that was a good heart that he had, you know, and even Brian Houston coming over to the, the States to learn more different things. But as different things began to happen, layers were put on top of it and it almost started to like spiral out of control, but yeah. it didn't start with like nobody. I don't think, I think very few people are going to start out with a evil intent to try to create this institution that's going to hurt a lot of people. Like that's, that's never the, the goal. It's not the end goal. No, you start with something that you want to see make a difference in the world, but to your point, things happen, experiences happen, stuff gets laid on top. And before you know it, we've got this nightmare that we have to deal with. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, that's right. And it, that the same thing could be said for any institution. So yeah. whether it's you know, governmental or, you know, pol political or even a business for that matter. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the natural trajectory of just structure can be oppressive. It can be, I want to use a, I want to use a big word. It can become ossified. Oh, how long are you going to use that word for it? <laughs> uh, it seems like I've been using it a lot lately, but uh, meaning it can become so rigid. And I think that word means bony, like 
bony and rigid and can't move easily. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like that that's the natural trajectory of institution and structure. And I don't know. I mean, certainly, certainly there, I'm not saying that there wasn't a critique of that because there certainly is. But yeah, to your point, it's way more directed at the individual and the individual journey and pursuit. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a part of the human, the human story. And I like you said, this isn't just true in churches, but but true in families, businesses. And I worked for Apple for uh, 11 years. And like, I started at Apple when Steve Jobs was still running the place and the company was a lot smaller than it is now. But over my time at Apple, like as things started to grow, as more money was made, as more people came into the picture, there clearly became things that had to be dealt with that hadn't had to be dealt with in the past. And they would often, I mean, some things I think were handled really well, some things not handled really well, but the business now is much different. And I think a lot of people would say in many ways, it's more quote oppressive just because of the, the, the amount of money that's made, the amount of expectations that are on people to kind of oh, keep yeah keep that going. So I think to your point, like it's not just true in the religious setting, but it's true everywhere. It's just an issue that we have to have on our radar all the time. You know, I think that listening to both of us talk, I want people to know that this is not a time and place, um, a a current time and place. I'm not talking about a church. I'm not talking about anything like it is really kind of a fantasy science fiction book. It is not, um, you know, I, 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 honestly, I mean, I'm going to find out from you when I wrote it, I did, even though it's listed as Christian fantasy, it's not a Christian book necessarily. And it's not overtly Christian at all. And I had some people who are not Christian read it and they're like, that's just a human book. And so, I mean, I think that people could walk away and say, yeah, I can see some undertones and principles that you kind of, uh, that, that aligns with certain Christian principles and values, but certainly it's not a Christian book. No, not at all. You know, I, I do a lot of work with, I told you, Alexander Shai, I do a lot of, I do a social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the things he's really taught me is like looking at the stories of the Bible, for instance, like, yeah. you know, in the past, I always thought to myself, well, you know, is the story of the virgin birth, for instance, or the resurrection, since we're at near Easter time, is it true or is it not true? Like, if it's true, it means it had historically happened. Like, it has to be historically verifiable for this to be true. And so I spent years like reading Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict, <laughs> Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, trying to build my case for why these things Absolutely. are true. Now, Alexander's yeah. really taught me that, well, something can be true, even if it's not historical in nature. Yep. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, the story is true if it awakens something in you that's always yeah. been there, but maybe it's just been kind of buried beneath the stories or the stuff in your life. So you know, he's like the stories of the Bible, true. The stories that are close to the heart of Islam are true. Buddhism, true. All these different things that Harry Potter is true. Lord of the Rings is true. So I would say that your book is 100% true and that it's really addressing different things that it's almost like having an aha moment in every chapter because like, oh, like that is true because this really does happen in real life in many different ways places. And I think it just helps you when you can see when it's not a nonfiction book where you're just telling me different things, different details, different facts and figures, things like that. 
but you're weaving this story together, it's much easier to place yourself in a story, just like one of Jesus's parables to place yourself in the parable to kind of come right. to the awareness of the truth yourself. Like, ah, oh, this is what it means. So yeah, I think that's very right. important. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to talk about disappointment here, mm -hmm. but I think I knew going into launching this book that there would be a, a, a certain amount of disappointment because I thought, I don't believe that every single person who reads my book is going to interact with it the way that I hope that they will. Sure. And I think I had some expectation that it, I wrote it in such a way where I thought, man, if people just read it for the story and do nothing more, I hope they have an entertaining read. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, I thought if people walk away with, with it and, and just sit it down and never think about it again, to me, that would have been to, to me, that is uh, a little bit of a defeat. I, I do mm. want to entertain people with it, but it, it really layer upon layer. It really pushes and challenges and forces people to think at a deeper level and wrestle with the content. And, and some of it may arouse deep emotions and may, may upset people or, you know, may exhilarate people, inspire people. But, um, you know, I think that that's the thing going into it where I feel like some people read it and they're like, oh, well, you know, that's a story. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I thought, wow, you, you spent, but on the other hand, I met up kind of, you showed me some of the markings you had. I had, mm -hmm. I met up with a friend and he had an entire notebook and everything highlighted, underlined, exclamation mark, stars. And I'm just like, wow. I mean, yeah. it just exceeded my expectation, but I mean, it, it's like anything else, I suppose, whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, for myself, like I, I read so much, like I've always been a reader. And so like, as I was reading the book, I would just make a note, like, oh, like Matthew Fox has said this in his book, The Cosmic Christ, like, the, like the, there's just different ideas that are very uh, mystical in nature that people like a Richard Rohr, a Matthew Fox or Rob Bell have kind of spoken about. And I've, I went back to their books afterward, just because those are all big topics I'm wrestling with in my life. And your book just kind of propelled me to go and look mm. at those things again. So, well, any other questions from you before I make a pitch to the uh, audience? One more question. One more question. Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. Last, my last question, uh, all these different topics in the book. If you had to pick like the one topic today, that's like the closest to your heart, the thing that you're really walking through in your life, uh, what would that, what would that be? Mm. Uh, you know, I, I think the one that has been on my radar for a long time and I, and I'm just going to, you know, it's not necessarily a thing that I'm dealing with personally, mm -hmm. but it is the issue that I keep coming back to is that with so many, with everything becoming so binary and, you know, either, or no, either, or it's either this or, that, and everybody's mm -hmm. at each other's throats every topic is fought to the nth degree to the death, you know, and, and we Cage have been, match. Yeah. Yeah. We have been so fragmented and divided against one another. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like that I've spent a lot of time over the last few years trying to think of any way that I can to help bring reconciliation mm. to you know, I was talking to a friend last night and I said, we've spent so much time, not us, but you know, our culture has spent so much time at the, the lower levels 
And I said, we've lost the way we've, we've lost the unity in the transcendent value of things. So we will argue over to, to the death over things that I'm not going to call them inconsequential because I know that people really believe deeply about issues. So some things are inconsequential. Some things are absolutely consequential, but we've lost the ability to put ourselves in the other person's shoes or to even have dialogue to understand another, another's position or to even give people the benefit of a doubt. So we can again, converse and try to arrive. See, and, and beyond all of that, we've lost completely the humanity of the other person. And so I think, and you've probably felt that through this book is that that was one of the biggest themes within it is really trying to help people understand other people's perspectives and try to dissolve the we versus they battle. So good. That is my singular issue that I'm really obsessed with. So good. I love it. All right. Give us the pitch. Give me the pitch. What do you got? Yeah. I, I guess more than anything, being that I've told you absolutely nothing about this book. <laughs> You've been as evasive as possible. You've left I, us I really, more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I just want you to trust me in that at a minimum, it will be an entertaining read, but at a maximum, it will speak to you at a lot of different levels. And I think at this point, while I have been absolutely positively a huge advocate of getting people to go to their local bookstores, and if it's not there, then request it or try to order it from their local bookstores. I will say that Amazon has it for 99 cents right now as an sure. ebook. Yeah. And I think it's like five bucks as a paperback right now. Something like and that, so yeah. the, the entry level to get this book is so low that I think that there's a huge, huge opportunity for people to no brainer folks. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But you know, I would love to hear from people. I'd love to hear how they interact, but that I created a private Facebook group discussion group where I kind of, it's not, we're not really discussing anything. I'm just telling people what everything means and just divulging the deeper layers. And so that's been really interesting, but you know, as you read it, I'd love your feedback. And I'd also love for you to join the group and see what all the, the layers are about, including the ending. Yeah. So I, I'll tell you, and I haven't told everybody this, so our listeners are going to hear this for the first time too, but I'm thinking about doing a book club of sorts for the podcast yeah. for Patreon supporters. So people who are oh, yeah. Patreon can be part of a book club. And we would do like maybe read one book every quarter or something like that to give people, I don't know how fast some people read, but stretched out and then maybe have one or two zoom chats where we kind of chat about the oh, book. So man, that'd be I, I was thinking about your book being yeah. maybe one of those books. And if so, I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you come like to one of the zoom chats and talk to us about the book? Oh, I would do multiple. I would love it. Yeah. Right. I love discussing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a lot of fun because I think that this book, again, like you said, it's not just a story, but there's a lot of other things that's going to evoke in people, which I think is really, really good. So well, I want to thank you. I mean, it, it, it's a, I've noticed that whenever I did nonfiction books, getting interviews for podcasts was super easy. And then with the novel, it's not as easy mm-hmm. and because you have to be pretty good at, you have to be a pretty good interviewer to walk through something where people's not going to tell you a whole lot about <laughs> the story because they want people to read it. <laughs> so you've done an excellent job, but I think I want to thank you for just trusting me and just you know, jumping into it and trusting the, um, the content and just giving me the invitation. It, it means a ton. Thank you. Well, I'll pass that on to Seth Price because Seth Price is the one who uh, 
really turned me on to the book. He's like, you got to read this book. I'm like, well, I don't really read a lot of novels. Like, I don't care. You got to read this book. (laughs) I I wondered if you knew him. I didn't know if you guys knew each other. Yeah, we're we're pretty tight. So he's been helping me out. He was, he started his podcast a little bit before I started mine. And he was, he's kind of like, I call him my big brother. Oh, that's great. Well, interestingly enough, speaking of Seth, he did the audio book for this book that just hasn't been released yet. So I think it's the first book that he's ever done as an audio book. So there's a learning curve to it and it's yeah. taking us a little bit of time, but he is such a champ. That's Super awesome. Appreciative, yeah. That's awesome. Well, hey man, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you again for taking the time to join me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Good to see and where, you. Where can people go to find your blog real quick too? Yeah. Um, the, the big thing I'm working on right now is a Substack, and mm. I don't even think that I know what the address is. It's 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 I'll actually it. called yeah deep calls to deep substack.com and it's a weekly drop every Tuesday in your email. It's a 400 or I was going to say 400 page 400 <laughs> word uh, story insight, insight wisdom with a question, just an introspective, really nice thing for people to meditate on during the week. And I try to keep it super light and kind of funny. So that's where I'm at right now. Cool. I'll put the links in the show notes and uh, we'll do this again. Yeah. Good to see you. Thank you. All right, man. Go ahead and run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other sand, most beaten on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh, wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own beach and we bring our own sand. Wherever we live is so bland. So much we're high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we go ahead and dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion. Go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Wish I had red bottles on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride. Did this beat need everyone to follow my speed? Let's close those more keys. Carolina Rose on freeze. Wishing I could fly to the keys. That will be more free. Something hit my mind, hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh, let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at the fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I 